Welcome to episode 106 of A Pint with Shawnee B. Before we get started, another mention for the Patreon account that I've set up. I'm not going to spend too long talking about it. Uh, I know how much ads and stuff at the top of podcasts irritate podcast listeners. But anyway, I do have a Patreon account set up. I am trying to monetize the podcast. The podcast does come with quite a considerable amount of running expenses and has been a labor of love for the past coming up to three years, would you believe? can't believe how time has flown so quickly. Anyway, uh, I'm asking those of you who have a spare buck or two bucks a month to spend to sign up uh, to become a subscriber and fan of the podcast. The website to go to is listed in the blurb of this podcast and most of them at the moment. Uh, It is www.patreon.com backslash Shawnee B. Really appreciate any of you who could uh, sign up. Um, A number of you have already, and thank you to those of you who have. All right, on to today's episode. Uh, We've got a couple of crackers before the end of the year. Today's is with one of the UK's preeminent family lawyers. We will be talking about marriage, marriage breakdown, the Catholic Church. Lots of tips on how to pick the right partner so you don't end up in a lawyer's office four years into a marriage looking for a divorce. Without further ado, we're going to fade in to Richard Collins. law firm uh, called Keystone Law. I have a solicitor, lawyer, barrister, a solicitor with me. First solicitor, I think, on a point which you want to be, but this guy has also got an awful lot more to his bow. He made the jump from advertising into law, which I'm very intrigued as to why. And I'm welcome to the podcast, Richard Collins. How are you? Good, how are you? Is it your first podcast? It is my first podcast. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Be gentle. Yeah. You, you uh, hail from Ireland, you said. Where, where? Well, no, no, the family, the family ah, okay. is Irish, yeah. so there's lots of mad Irish you know, relatives, and when I was a kid, I remember, like, the, you know, the parties, and everyone had to get up and do a turn yeah. and all that, and, but really, I grew up in Wales, and that's where uh-huh. the trouble started. Were you, were um, you born in Wales? Or? I was born in Wales, yeah, right. in South Wales. This was, like, the 1960s. It was a very different place now. Yeah. If you go to Cardiff now, it's like Los Angeles. There are these, like, yeah. six-lane freeways, but, it, but in, in the 1960s... And teams was, in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> it was just horrendous. And so, so growing up in Cardiff in the 60s... Well, the posh bit, so it was down, yeah. it was down the coast. Um, yeah. So when all the coal and the steel happened in the 19th century, they didn't want to live in Cardiff because it was like a mm. shithole. Yeah. So they built this really quite nice Victorian town and these big Gothic mansions, and that is where I grew up. But it, it's, it was like the human equivalent of being buried alive, you know, and, yeah. and, and it was the start point of, of everything, really, because all you could do there... So, so first of all, if you were different, you weren't safe. Right. So learning at school was kind of covert, yeah. You know, because you get beaten up if you yeah, do well. Um, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing, there's nothing to do. So all I had first was black and white and then colour telly. And so I just watched telly because I, you know, I could see there's this whole very different world out there. I watched telly, you know, all oh, hours. Of, uh, and because I watched it with my family, I kind of knew what they liked, all this kind of 1970s crap and, yeah. you know, all that lowest common denominator stuff and so I, I was really into it so at the age of like 18 mm. I knew more about telly than any kid in the UK did you know Welsh did you learn yeah, Welsh yeah I, I had to learn Welsh in school, school I, yeah. I've got O level Welsh yeah. and were you good at school like, did, you have, like, was, did you have a happy childhood was it? yeah, yeah. No, I, apart well, from well, the well, well, apart from it, like <laughs> the terminal <laughs> being in Wales yeah um, yeah I kind of always had the sense there was something other 
than there, and then yeah. I was just it was like a waiting room. I was I there. Had that done, yeah. You had that as well. Yeah, I kind of wanted you know, to get out at some point. Yeah, and they make it very clear in these communities that if you want something different, that's not going to work. You know, so very early on, you learn to kind of hide all that, or suppress all that, or to kind of dumb down your interest in creativity, or just being different, yeah. just to kind of get through it. Really, I knew I couldn't get on in Cardiff. There's mm. the taffia. You know, unless you speak Welsh and you know the right people, yeah. you know, you're not going anywhere down there back then. But now the BBC's moved in and it's all kind of mm. completely different. But it's funny, the whole language thing, because, you know, they, they're not keen on, on the English. And I, I had a client actually in, in West Wales in the, in the posh Georgian bit. And I went into this cafe with her and there are these women speaking Welsh. And they were sort of saying, oh, who's, who's she with? Who's this fancy man she with? And at the end of the cup of tea, I sort of went up to them and said, oh, you know, goodbye in Welsh, and their blood drained from their faces. But they, they obviously think that you're, you know, you're English. You're from Rim here, I'm from Rim. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So there's a lot of that. How did you get out? How did I get out? Yeah. I went, I went to university. I came to London. Like, everything turns on a sixpence, doesn't it? Like, everything. Yeah. I met this girl at a party who was kind of particularly glamorous, and she said, oh, I've just come back from a shoot. And I said, you know, what is a shoot? You know, tell me, what is this? You know? gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She was actually at JWT. She started to describe what was going on there. And then hilariously, because I was too late, I applied for the job at Saatchi, which was the job that every kid in England wanted. Yeah. And I went into this room, and there were these horrible men, again, this kind of fog of smoke, and this man said to me, do you mind if I tell you what I think about you? And I said, well, no, go ahead. He said, I think you're horrible upmarket C dot dot T. Um, you know, and arrogance of food. And I laughed because yeah. coming from Wales, people say this to you every day. Yeah. And then when I got the job, I, I, I met this guy. And I said, so how did I get the job? The job that everybody wanted. And he said, actually, you were the only kid who laughed. All the other kids kind of got all flustered and Didn't nervous they? or whatever. So what I, year was that? This is in 1984. Okay, so yeah. Sashi and Sashi is talking about a two huge ad agencies in London. Sashi and Sashi probably in their heyday uh, around that time when they, they, they were probably 10 years in operation and they sort of taken over the world. That's right. Domination. That's right. My first day, we, we got the McDonald's account and then this call went around, look, everybody is to come to reception. And so I went down to reception in the lift and the doors opened, and I saw a sight that I could never unsee. You know, there were secretaries of magnet of champagne, tomato sauce, chips, burgers, yeah. sex. It was just all yeah. kicking off. And I got home really late, and it was the days where there were no mobile phones, so my yeah. father rang the landline. He said, how was your first day at work? And I said, if this is work, I want to work forever. Yeah, no, it, was you know, it was just fantastic. But this is how it also translates to what I'm doing now, because I was dealing with really volatile, often very high people, mm. you know, creatives who were these kind of gods. And you would go down there and you'd have to sell their work. And they'd have to have confidence that you were selling their work properly. And so, you know, I'd never come across people like that. You know, yeah. they, they, they were given lots of rope. Yeah. Um, you know, Patiently hung themselves. <laughs> usually, absolutely. Yeah. So you're, you're a client service. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. But I really wasn't in the swim of the politics there. Because advertising, I think, is kind of politics and no brains, and law is politics and brains. I found and, I found the politics was almost encouraged, especially in America. When yeah. There. Well, so, well, I think that was, was rats in the cage. Sort of yeah. Stuff. Yeah. They want yeah. they want they want people to be shopping their colleagues and getting over. You know, it was well, that, nasty. That, that that was the whole that was the whole structure of Sartre. So you'd have groups competing against each other because mm-hmm. they believe that thesis meets antithesis creates this creative synthesis. Yeah. You know, so they would actively put people together who weren't going to get along. There was going to be friction. Yeah. This is all part of the master plan. 
And my problem with, with all this is that I'm not good with the face. So even though you know we, we were sent off to this finishing school, mm. we were told never talk about yourself, always get the client to talk about them, always show an interest in them, always offer this and that, and keep them sweet. Whatever happens, keep them sweet. Mm. This existed. Yeah, absolutely. A big part of that is the face. It's getting the work from the creative that you don't really believe in. You know you've got to go off and sell it. Yeah. And, and you've got to come back with a bought you know, yeah. campaign. And that's where I fall down, because I, if I don't believe in it, or if I don't think it's good, like the face doesn't work. Yeah. And then when, okay, people, right. when people start to see that, yeah. there's only one way this is going to finish. I think the, the, the seed that that finishing school and even that job description sowed is probably what we're reaping now in terms of the, the fact that they're just being trampled on and agencies don't do any great work because it is actually client service driven yeah. culture of fear yeah. and do what you're told and don't challenge yeah. whereas the reality is the best clients I've had want yeah. you and me to go into a room and yeah. worry them with our intelligence yeah. and our point yeah. of view that maybe they haven't thought about yeah. well now it's the era of client power isn't it from what I understand from my friends clients are dictating what's going on yeah. whereas before you know, you would go in and say, oh, look, we've got this crazy creative idea, take a chance, it might go banzai. Well, were you 10 years in advertising before you seven. started to go? And were you getting quite pissed off with it? The seven-year-ish. I was hitting the, 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 the 1990s. I've been there for seven years. And I thought, hang on a minute, you've got to be careful because you could end up in a barn conversion in Oxfordshire calling yourself a marketing consultant. It could all end very, it could all end very badly <laughs> for you. It could all end yeah. very, very badly for you. So you have a barn conversion, <laughs> <laughs> like a small barn. You can end up in a one-bedroom yeah. apartment with animals. Paint two thousand <laughs> Yeah, with just yeah. a suitcase and all your stuff's in storage yeah. in America. Yeah, but actually, what I really liked about the job was the psychology. You know, the whole mm. psychological aspect of it. You know, the fact that these campaigns could really change the way people lived, and and it was that that was kind of turning me on. So when it was all going wrong. You know when addicts have the moment when they decide that yeah, they're through with drinking drugs and yeah. it's all going to be clean and recovery. My kind of addict moment was I was in a, a Birmingham hotel and we were discussing biscuit packaging. And I just thought, do you know what, I'm like 31 years old, you know. And so That was similar to me. Uh, you yeah. know, it was probably on Gillette, but it was these 40 people on a conference call for two hours debating... Yeah. Or frightened. A word, yeah. you know, smooth yeah. or silky or whatever. Oh, yeah. nice. yeah. Like, quite apart from anything else, the amount of brain power that's being expended on something utterly meaningless. Yeah. I always said you could, I, I could probably divide by 10 any of those conference calls and get things done quicker, better, yeah. more effectively, yeah. more money and cheaper. Yeah. You know, and you could do it. Yeah. And there's just this, yeah. this torture. Well, like, I, I won't name the guy, but I remember sitting in a room and we were all talking, actually, on, on this occasion quite sensibly. And we were getting somewhere. And he just said, stop. And there was like this silence. Mm. And there's this very dramatic pause and a further dramatic pause. And he got his Mont Blanc pen out and he said, it's coming. The idea is coming. And we watched this guy draw a circle right. for like 90 seconds. A whole room full of people. Which was meant to be a biscuit. Or <laughs> I don't know what the hell it was meant to be. <laughs> but you know, you, you, so at age 31, you kind of think, hang yeah, on, yeah. this is not going to... So you, were, you, you saw the man behind the curtain. So you, you, you know, I, you, I, you I, this. I, I always, I, I, I'd always seen the man behind yeah, the curtain, yeah. but I thought actually the money's good, and I've got you know a credit card, and I'm taking people to lunch at the Gavroche, and I'm 25, and I'm flying to Miami, yeah. and I got the BMW, and I've got the Magnum and the McDonald's. So 
actually shut up yeah. and enjoy it. I mean, you had all the trappings, and so to to sort of chuck them in, yeah, was pretty brave, yeah. right? And I'm sure yeah. all your friends thought. Wow. Yeah, no, no, I probably would have said it like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There, there, there was an element of that. So I remember really distinctly giving the BMW back, and then going to the shops and thinking, Christ, I can't afford to. You know, I, I bought like a can of tuna. I really remember it. Thinking, God, it's like it's like tin fish from now on. Was it a, was it an acrimonious leave or just a see it? It was a slow realization that yeah. there was nowhere to go, and that actually I closed the door and locked it and bolted it, yeah. and then burnt the door. I just I couldn't go back. Yeah. And then once I started telling people, of course, I wanted to be made redundant because I wanted the cash. Yeah, yeah. They found out. So whilst you know, ninety nine point nine percent of London is being made redundant, they wouldn't pay me a penny mm. piece. So I, I had to resign in the end because obviously someone snitched on me and said yeah. this guy wants to go. So so I had no cash. But but I but then I down? Yeah, well like, but not out. No. You know. And, and and I thought, what's the counterpoint to all this? Mm. Insecurity, crazy neurosis, working with all this kind of volatility. What is the counterpoint to all this? Mm. I know what I'll do. I'll become a lawyer. And I'm quite good at client service because I got on the finishing yeah. school course and I'm really good at that and people seem to think I'm, I kind of like that. And I'm also interested in psychology and how relationships work and how people are manipulated to do things. And, and I met this woman and I said, look, I want high on interest and low on law because I'm never going to get the textbook out and the marker pen okay. and talk about subsection six. And, you know, that's never going to happen. Okay. And she said, that's easy. It's family. It's just tissues. You know, and a telephone. Yeah, off you go. But don't you have to be, like, didn't you have to go and do some mad training? Or? So you do a law degree in one year, mm. a professional training course, year two, and then you do two years as a trainee, so four years. Right. Two years, no money, and two years with really rotten money. When you started doing the first two years, were you going, ah, I've hit this, this looks good? No, I, 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 I didn't have a job. You know, it, was r- it was Russian roulette, you know. Yeah. Like, how did you get by? Did you have to take bar jobs? Well, I know. Well, yeah, I, what I did is I, I studied in the afternoon. I worked in graphic design in the morning. And again, those people were really fun and really nice. And when I look back now, that was another fork in the road. Maybe I should have kind of thrown in my lot with them. And, um, cause they were, graphic design company. Yeah, they were yeah. a load of fun. And I really, really enjoyed that. Because I'm quite kind of visual. I kind of, th- I, you know, I think in pictures. I don't think in subsection one. Yeah. You know, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody who's been quite as analytical as it's quite clever what you just said about that you, you, you studied what you were good at and what you thought was a bit yeah, in, in the habits. Yeah. But actually, that, that's, that's, the, that's the really wrong thing. Because when you're different and creative and you enjoy all that, mm. and people in Wales are saying, you can't be like that, you've got to work in a bank, you've got to buckle down, you've got to, you've yeah. got to do the sensible thing and have a family and be normal. Yeah. And when people tell you that and you learn that, you think that's the answer. So actually, when you're in this environment that actually you really enjoy, but it's chaotic, you think, oh, Christ, maybe they're, maybe they're right. Maybe I should be doing something stable and secure and safe. Maybe I do want that. But actually, you don't want that. It's what you've been told you want. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, you know? and, 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 you know, things like ambition. And I was saying to someone, if I had to live, like, would I like to be young again? I, I said, I'd love to be 15 knowing what I know. Yeah, yes. I, yeah. I realized so much of what I didn't do was based yeah. on fear or something yeah. totally yeah. like, you know. But it's, do you know what? It's, it's so easy now, isn't it, to look back. There are so many obvious forks in the road. Mm. At the time, you just can't, you can't See, tell. 
So what? So when was the moment then, though, that you sort of said, "Right now, I'm, this actually is now starting to open up, and I have, I can now see." Was there any one thing that happened that you? Well, I was just, I was just really lucky because I had a Catholic upbringing, and there was this firm where they took a chance on old people. So if they took three trainees, they take two regular ones and one kind of oddball one. And so, so the guy before me was a senior policeman. And the woman before me was a concert pianist. And all those kind of crazy people really worked out. So when I rocked up, they were like, we don't kind of understand you. But this is what we do, and it's kind of worked in the past, so, so come along. And, and of course, because we're all older and we've got a lot of experience, mm. and we're bringing lots of different stuff to the party. So I was Catholic, and it was a Catholic law firm with a, a speciality in divorce. And, um, <laughs> and not only that, but the guy who ran the department was the guy. He was like the Eminem Grease. Of divorce, and I was really incredibly lucky to kind of slip into his practice, yeah. and as a junior person, help him out. You know, I was incredibly lucky. Like some of the clients that I was on, you know, and having a mentor like him. Yeah, really. Okay, so let's do, let's go the Catholic thing and the divorce thing. Yeah, Catholic divorce discuss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we now have it in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Like Fifteen years ago. Well, so. Sometimes he would ask them to give their rings to him, their wedding rings, and I would take them over to the Catholic church and put them in the poor box. We'd give him back in that way. Uh, In in other ways, he would decide there must be out there some poor Catholics who need some free advice. All these rich people can pay, but all like these needy Catholics. He used to call it fire insurance, that if we really help these people for nothing, for very little then we would um, be rewarded in the next life. Mm-hmm. So there was all that going on. But, but um, obviously what you, you know, the whole Catholic annulment thing is completely yeah. different to legal divorce. Where is it now? Is it still... Does the Catholic Church still yeah, fight yeah. for annulment? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you can have a deal of separation where you remain married, but to all intents and purposes, you know, all your money is divided and you're living separately. Yeah. But you have not dissolved... The contract that God helped you put together. Because no person can rent the park. One of the things that I think is happening in the world now is religion is dying. Do you think it's really? I think yeah. so. I think, well, I mean, we have, the, we have the battle with Islam, but Islam's quite a, a young religion. But I, mean, I think yeah. people are just going, like Dougal and Father Ted, ah, come on now, it's all a bit nonsense. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's yeah. no, it's, we're, we're, we're basically believing in revelation, yeah. which is. Yeah. this poker stuff. I mean, it's, it's yeah. weird that we even, it's so powerful even in 2018. On the other hand, you've got the whole of America that is embracing yeah. kind of Christian yeah. morality. You've got the Kardashians yeah. praying before, you know. But well, like I said, a priest said to me, the reason that Donald Trump, and they've all backed the Trump administration, mm. all the evangelical Christians yeah. and Catholics, you know why? No. Because he's going to put two new judges on the Supreme Court to overturn Right. Roe versus Wade and get yeah. abortion back on the fucking yeah. bandwidth, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I, I even have this thing that why is it so important? I mean, this is very sacrilegious to me, but yeah. apart from God, who, who, by the way, I think yeah. would probably know who's going to get born yeah. and who's going to get aborted yeah. anyway, yeah. right? You know, yeah. if he's yeah. so omnipotent. Yeah. Yeah. But why, why is anyone so anxious about keeping filling the world with people and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, it's just a means of controlling people, isn't it? But much more seriously, we should be talking about Catholic education because my very first memory of school is being called into this assembly and this kid was brought in screaming for some misdemeanor. And this kid was beaten like a gong in front of us. 
And I learned, aged four or age five, that if you step out of line, Catholic style, that's what happens. You know, it's kind of cliche, isn't it? But you kind of think that when the bad stuff happens, it's because you haven't done the good Catholic stuff. And actually, I had a really serious ski accident when I was sort of 27. And I thought I was going to die. And so I, I, I really have known life or death. And in that moment, I talked to the guy upstairs. Having said, from the age of 13, refusing to go, it's so ingrained and it's so embedded. I was on a slab in Denver with a suspected heart attack, and, yeah. uh, which actually was not, it was fine. Yeah. But I, they, they brought in a... I've insurance. They brought in, uh, yes, I did. I was looking yeah. I was still in the atmosphere at the time. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was a, they brought a, a priest, a female priest, because it was a miracle, which was cool. And I said, are you here to give me the last rites? And she said, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I didn't do what you did. I said... Okay, so just let me get straight. If I get the last rites now, that means it goes straight to the kingdom of heaven, right? Yeah. Irrespective. She yeah. went, yep. Yeah. I said, Lay if I got head. hit by a bus outside and was splattered and came in here, eh, uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. And she's gone, mm, yeah. yeah. I'm, can you see how ridiculous that is? It's I'm out of Hitler here. Yeah. 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 But it was God's plan and you only slapped, isn't it? It was yeah. God's plan that you weren't... Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, I said I'm going to take it. I'm going to have that debate, that loophole debate, if he exists. Yeah. Like four hours, which I did. Yeah. yeah. Well, was your Catholic upbringing quite strict? Yeah. Well, we, uh, Obviously, if you well, I, well, the influence is strict. So I saw my parents just like lap it up. Yeah. You know, so that was the message I was getting. <laughs> And, and, and obviously the whole community, you have to go every... I went to Catholic school, you have to go every yes, Sunday. I went to the day school. God, yeah. And then you've got very Catholic teachers, mm. priests and so on, you know, coming into school teaching you Sons and Lovers, you know, by D.H. Lawrence. Yeah. You know, when I got married, you know, we went, to, we went to the Catholic place and we had to kind of disclose that we were going to get married in the Church of England and there was a lot of sniffing and regret. And the whole place smelled of cabbage in the usual way and so on. But this guy then went on to say, well, you can't be married in the eyes of the church. And if you don't commit to bringing up kids as Catholics. But while you're in here, let's talk about sex education. Let's talk about relationships. And it's like, what do you know, really? What can you tell me? Actually, more than we talk. Age 33. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there are all these kind of minor and major things going on out there that make you... But it does... It does... Fuck you up. I mean, it, it, it's lying to children, and that's at best, because it's also interfering with children, yeah. either in the way your, yeah. your, your classmate was, or sexually, as we have many thousands of people infected in Ireland. But it always stays with you when you grow yeah. up, and it's like, I, I often have to catch myself just to go, look, there's no big man in the sky. I mean, maybe there is. Yeah. There's still something it's very, it's very powerful, though, isn't it? I went, I went to that place, Montserrat, mm. with the uh, Black Madonna. We thought we would kind of queue in, and we thought actually it's not nothing's worth this kind of wait. So we went around the back, and at the back, this priest kind of saw us attempting to leave and beckoned us in. There was like a secret way to see. And when we got to this Black Madonna, there were all these people there, literally on their knees and literally giving all of themselves to it. And it was the most you know something. I, I actually felt something. I didn't. I couldn't work out whether. You know, I, I was going back in, you know, or but actually, what it really was was just being caught up in the moment of this intense, intense, one hundred percent solid, belief. Um, yeah, belief. Um, I went to um, Garabando in Spain, northern Spain, yeah. which, which is that's one of the ones that is to me the most interesting because it was in nineteen sixty one. It was always to shepherd. It was like you know, fat yeah. of the Lord's all about apparitions of the Virgin Mary to young shepherd yeah. girls. 
But she gave them this very specific, because normally it's like just pray and watch out for the priest and don't, you know, yeah, yeah. love my neighbor. But yeah. this was really specific that yeah. at some point in the future, God is going to show himself in a way that's unequivocal, yeah. filmable, yeah. filmable yeah. And, 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 and eternal. Of course. Yeah. There. Yeah. Now, this woman's now 70 and she's about, yeah. she's going to uh, announce eight days beforehand. There's two and a half million flights booked. And I went to this place. It's kind of creepy. Yeah. I was wandering around there. If, if I just say, there is, yes, yeah. but it's not, yeah. it's not razzmatazz. It's no. a bit like, yeah. I wish yeah. they never said that. But what I can't understand is how you're sitting around the table of this shithole village in the mountains going, you know what I think we should do to get some tours up here? <laughs> and then stick with it for 50 yeah. years. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's something bizarre that yeah. you know you felt there and I felt as yeah. well. And I, I yeah. felt it was more demonic than nice. Yeah. It didn't feel nice. Yeah. It felt yeah. a bit weird. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. But then we have a God who's um, totalitarian, right? If, there, if we have to listen. But I say, we're not going to solve the uh, Catholic Church. No, we're not. We're not. Here. Well, no. you, so you, you got into family law. Let's talk about what you do now yeah. and, and tell me, are things improving? What, what, are, the, what are the sort of trends well, that you see in our blissful wedding? Yeah. Well, mar- well, marriage is, if you're talking statistics, marriage is down. Mm-hmm. And cohabitation is up, so people are less interested in marrying. But in terms of human nature and the things that interest me, relationships and psychology and how people treat each other and what they do to each other, that ain't never going to change. That's kind of the joy and also the depression of the work. It's kind of like when you speak to a criminal lawyer, they're kind of burnt out after kind of four or five years, a lot of them, because they keep seeing these people keep reoffending. Mm. It's the same for me. Like I keep seeing people several times a day who are going through the same pain, going through making the same mistakes, and will make the same mistakes with, with, with other people. And I think it's all about really what happens, you know, in your childhood and what your map looks like and what your influences were and what you saw and what, what your parents were doing. And mm. um, so you're a believer that we repeat the sins. Of I, God. I absolutely. I am. agree with that. Yeah, I absolutely am. When I first started this, I kept seeing these kind of men who um, with these kind of calcified hearts, really. You know, they can't trust women, they can't open themselves to women, and therefore they can't make proper relationships with women. When you kind of like dug a bit deeper, it was kind of boarding school, or it was some sort of, yeah. it was some sort of rejection by their parents, yeah. or, they, or they saw something in their early life yeah. that, that affected them. And so, you know, to answer your question, I, I think that it hasn't changed, it'll never change. There are people, though, who maybe it was so bad, or they were so shocked and ashamed at what happened to them, that mm. they are determined to change things yeah and those people i think are a minority but they do exist people who yeah there's yeah. no way my yeah. daughter is going to go through the shit that yeah. I, I had to yeah. go through or whatever but if you send people off to therapy which i often do a lot of clever people will have the intellectual capacity to say i can see that i'm doing this and i'm behaving that way because mm. of what happened to me and how i grew up and what my influences were and so on but nonetheless i continue to do it so you know even though they have the intellectual insight they often haven't got the emotional ability to kind of deal with it and, and, and resolve it. A lot of these kids who are starved of attention or didn't feel they were good enough, they're constantly screwing around, 
just to kind of prove to themselves that the other people find them attractive, they yeah. still got it. Yeah. These ridiculous forty-year-old men on rollerblades in Hyde Park yeah. driving, you know, soft top jeeps. All these kind of things, I think, they're all embedded in what in what happens in your early life. Where does it? Where do you fall in terms of just your observations on things like violence towards women? There's two things that, factually, the, the, the law as it applies to say rape. Hmm. I mean, we had we husbands were allowed rape, but yeah. it was in Ireland up until yeah. recently. Yeah. Um, is terrible, I think. Yeah. I think only something like point something percent of all cases get get a criminal uh, conviction. But this, have you seen with Me Too and the, the, the something like the internet, which I think yeah. has got to have have had a huge impact on women yeah. being able to find yeah. other women and stuff yeah. that they don't think yeah. to do about it. Well, when, when when I started this work twenty four years ago, I remember quite clearly a certain attitude towards women and a certain attitude towards men. So if a woman grabbed hold of a frying pan or biffed a man, you know, it was kind of semi-comedic. Um, um, whereas, um, you know, with women, they were taken very seriously, as, as they should be. What's happening now is that um, the bar is lower and lower and lower, and more and more and more things are unacceptable. And, you know, every year there's a trend, you know, like last year, someone had a narcissistic personality. This year, it's all about coercive control. But, you know, bullying... Buzzword. Yeah, bullying won't be tolerated, you know. Um, arguing in front of your children is an abuse to the child. It's abusive. Which it probably is. Which it probably is. Uh, yeah. But what about specific the violence to women? Do you think that's down or up or...? Behaviours are not up or down. They're the same as they've always been. Yeah. Except that there's the, there's the old image of the... The man who runs his castle and smacks people around if their children and yeah. but still, you know, yeah. that's that machismo is still yeah. in South America. Yeah. It's still but, in but, but it's got to be right, isn't it? So, so you know, when, when I go to school, age four, no one bats an eyelid if a kid is really severely beaten in front of the school. No one bats an eyelid. Yeah. Now it's just Can't a do that. Yeah. None of that. Absolutely none. Which of is that. good. And that's that's got to be a good thing, of course. What about the the kind of the role you play? Which you know, I've I, I helped advise some of my friends through divorce. Oh before, God, you know. that fills me with absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that it would be me. Well, no, that people, you know, I, I, I get this all the time. Why am I getting a million? Because that man I met in the pub got X or my friend who divorced. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, but there's this thing which I, you know I always say. Let's let's say it's happened eight times. Hmm. Friends of mine from around the world. Where, where I love the wife and the husband, and yeah. it's terrible that they're breaking up, and yeah. he's a dick and he's cheated on you, or you fucking yeah. bored with him, or whatever it is. Yeah. But you always say them for the sake of the kids and for the sake of the pot of money that you have, just work it out between yeah. you. Yeah. And they all go, Yeah, that's definitely, we don't want to be giving all our money to a bunch yeah. of lawyers, yeah. right? They and nearly to <laughs> seven or eight, six of them, yeah. War of the Roses breaks out, a lawyer's yeah. tool up, and the, the, the pot is halved. Yeah. First of all, everyone, underline everyone, always says, I want this to go amicably. Yeah. I, don't want, I don't want to fight. And rarely do those people stick to that. You know, in, in the old days, my parents' generation, in Ireland especially, you know, people would stay together. They'd stay together through thick and thin, yeah. however much they hated each other. And, you know, in France, President Mitterrand had another family. You have a little arrangement. Yeah, yeah. And people put up with things because society She's wouldn't accept. She's the tennis coach. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, society wouldn't tolerate it. But now society doesn't really care that much. People can make their own choices. I just think, like, what kind of society is that where 
marriage is so disposable, and it doesn't yeah. really matter if you've got no kids. Yeah. Um, but I think when you've got kids, you have a duty to them really to try your best. And why, what do you read into this? Is it boredom or just a it's, fancy it's, change? It's, no, it's, it's wider than that. It's disposability. You buy a new telly and you bin it and you get another one. You know, you have a car, you want another one. You've got a husband, like, get another one. If, if, you know, it's all about the pursuit of happiness. Freud said the meaning of life is love and work. And if you hate your work and you've got no love, you know, then there's no meaning in your life. And I think people, they kind of think, well, I'm watching the Kardashians, I'm watching TV. Why is my life like that? Yeah. You know, and because it's not like that, then maybe I'll trade it in and see if it could be like that. I keep coming back to this thing where it's, I know women who have picked a man who they don't love. Yeah. To marry for money, for like in money, a, or because yeah. he'd be a more stable father for children in the Jane Austen style, yeah, 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 and leave the the pirate and move on with yeah. Jeff, yeah, go camping and stuff like that, yeah. And then four years in, yeah, she's just bored, senseless with Jeff and his yeah. fucking camping and the three kids and the collie dog, and she just yeah. wants to live, yeah, yeah. Um, and quite often, um, maybe I'm wrong, but I find women. In my personal experience of life, mm. tend not to be shagging around as much as men, but they will just leave. Well, I, yeah, I, I want, I want yeah. to find a new man. Yeah, I don't, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Again, it's kind of you know mores and, and, and society. If a man leaves his wife and children, then that's kind of expected and understood. Mm. If a woman leaves her husband and children, mm. there is something terribly wrong with that woman. But I think men and women have the same feelings. You know, they um, they deal with those feelings in a different way. Mm. But they have the same feelings, and um, it's funny how there are all these value judgments attached to to their decisions. What sort of things would you say to a hundred people who are about to get married this yeah. week uh, that would avoid them having to be yeah. here in three or four years? Okay. Well, there are a number of things. The first thing is the person you are at twenty three is not the person you are at 33, 43, or 53. And you've got to accept that people will grow and go in different directions. If you don't go with them, then you're at risk. So if you have common things, even if like watching the same TV program or something, mm. if you have things in common that you both enjoy and you both share, you have shared experiences, that's going to make it a lot easier than if you diverge and you do your own thing and suddenly become independent. Mm. You know, this, this kind of quite famous QC said to me, whatever you do, do not leave your family and send them out to the country where you can buy the bigger house and stay in the city because that is a recipe for disaster. Because I think separation is a recipe for disaster. But actually it comes down to kind of men again really and, and, and communication. When things are going wrong, it takes the braver person to say, listen, I'm not going to say this is ending. I'm not going to say that, you know, it's terminal for you. But, you know, we've got a problem. We need to talk about it and deal with it. Mm. And what people don't do is that. You know, they, they, they kind of bury it, they kind of park it, they put it under. And, and those things, you know, they take a life of their own. And before you know it, you're not spending time with someone. You don't know what the hell they're like. Mm. You don't really like them. You've never made any effort to sort out these problems. Um, but what I say now, the longer I'm in this work, is, you know, don't divorce, actually, is, is, is my mantra. You absolutely should overturn every stone to see whether the marriage is, is, is you know, capable of being saved. Quite a lot of people I know mm. do let stuff fester to the point where it's too late yeah. to unturn every stone because they're almost they're getting 
the Dutch courage up to yeah. throw the divorce down the table yeah. and say, I need out of this. Yeah. Well, again, I'm not making any kind of gender value judgments, but women have the great advantage of talking to their friends. Yeah. And men don't in the same yeah. way. So when a woman comes into me, when a man comes to me, it's a completely different experience. Because a man will use me like a counsellor. Because he won't see a counsellor because men don't see counsellors. But he'll come into me and say, this is what I'm feeling and this is what's happened. This is how it made me react and made me feel. Whereas women have kind of got out of their systems. When they come into you, they've talked it through with their friends. And it's just a different experience. Have you started to notice men becoming more grown up emotionally over the last 10 years? Um, that will come in here? Uh, yeah, just a, a bit. Just a bit. A bit, yeah, yeah. There's a play, I mean, the whole suicide thing and all that stuff, it's just, it, it all goes back to this. And again, that probably goes back to your point about what happened in school or with your father yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You had to be a man, no puff in my yeah. you You're responsible. You, you couldn't yeah. show any yeah. female characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think with, you know, the rise of equality and gender yeah. equality and all that kind of stuff, yeah. I was kind of hoping that that would get a little bit better for And it works the other way because women will often say I am so devastatingly unhappy so searingly unhappy but I am not going to leave until these kids are 18 and through their education because my job as their mother is to get them through that so you know in in the same way men sort of say I am supposed to be the man I'm supposed to be in charge and you know providing and you know all this kind of nonsense yeah. yeah same thing I was hoping it was going to be a lot more uh, positive. Well, 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 because you're a good bellwether. No, but you're a good bellwether because you've been doing it for so long. And so, you, mm. you know, I, I, I would have hoped, like, for example, the difference between 1995 mm. and today with a lot of my friends is a lot of them are less uptight. They're, yeah. They're more relaxed about, you know, that someone will go into a gay bar without freaking out. And, yeah. You know, they're able to talk a bit more about their emotions than they did. And you'd hope that that might have a knock-on effect on yeah. on marriages and friendships. But actually, if you think what's happening with kids, they don't talk. You know, they message and they send pictures. But, kind of, you know, words words are dead, really, aren't they? You know, if you, if you see, watch teenagers inter- interact, it's all about email and messaging. And, you know, you don't often sit down and have a proper kind of conversation you know it's, it's, so it's, talk to me about how things may or may not be changing for good or ill with the children coming out of these marriages well well you know the law is always behind life and you know when i first started this women would get maintenance for the rest of their lives now the court is recognizing that you know rightly that women are independent and very many women earn more than men and so they're making term maintenance orders in the children arena it was really rare to have 50-50 split of care because fathers were seen not to be the same providers as mothers. Mm. But that's really changing now. Mm. So it's becoming more and more common that you have one week on, one week off, or a more equal split of time with yeah, fathers and mothers. So you, know, so, so, you know, the law is catching up with life. We have a lot of issues in Ireland with policing the breakup. Fathers not paying maintenance to punish the wife because yeah. she's got a boyfriend or yeah. stuff like that. And then... Mm that affects maybe some social welfare payments and stuff like that that yeah. goes on. So the wife then says, okay, we'll keep your money, I'll just work it. It feels very kind of unfair. It feels very like, it's, yeah. yes, the judge will have said this, but the yeah. actions, yeah. they just don't follow them. And yeah. no one goes and she... Yeah. Well, professionally, you know, we're not allowed to link money and children, mm. but clients do it all the time. If you give me an extra day, 
I will give you that long weekend away that you want. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, but children aren't carpets to be bought and traded, yeah. you know, but it goes on a lot. You have hurt me the most of anyone in my life, mm-hmm. and I really hate you. And how can I punish you the most? What is the thing that's going to hurt you most? I know. Some other man tucking your kids in at night or something. <laughs> yeah. But you're right, kids get thrown in the phones and the thing. Away from the um, trials and turmoils of uh, matrimony, how do you, you see the world today? Are you optimistic about the future or pessimistic? Well, I'm from Wales, so I'm like <laughs> half glass empty, like in all situations. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also, I'm, I'm Catholic Welsh, so you know, I'm always waiting to be punished. You know, when I was 11, I, you know, I went into the confession, I wasn't forgiven. I had to go really? out and I was told to come back. Yeah. I was kind of expecting that. <laughs> and that's kind of informed my life really. I'm always waiting for, um, you know, but, but, but on the other hand, you know, it's like being an undertaker or a cancer specialist or a dentist. If you accept that every person who comes in is in a crisis, then it's fine. You, you, know, you deal with it and that's your norm. You know, and this is why this job is so crazily interesting. Because there is nothing more interesting than people's lives and what they do to each other. Mm. And people say, well, how do you remember all these different cases? It's like watching 40 really super interesting films a year yeah. that you're really involved in. Yeah. You remember all the characters, you remember everything they've done. And, and you think, you know, I have heard it all. Yeah. And then someone walks in and, you know, you really haven't heard it all. However jaded I Is there I'm, always a goodie and a baddie? Um, both are always good and both are always bad it's very rare that there's one angel and one devil and and that's the interesting thing because when you speak to someone and do their statement it's always a huge surprise when you hear the other side of the story you know it's a real shock because some people are really good at kind of getting on board like charming you and manipulating you and so you've always got to have half in your mind what's the other side going to be It's, it's like playing some kind of big emotional game of chess like if they do that move, what's the next move? Then what's the next move? Then when do you end up? I find as well when when I've been working with some of my friends who are going through it, I, mm-hmm. you know, even though, as I said, I might love both. Um, yeah. You know, wife well, people wife. choose, of course. People choose their friends, don't yes. they? Yes. Um, I mean, in a couple of cases, I've been nominated by both. Yeah. <laughs> but it's quite rare that friends stay friends of both. So very early mm-hmm. on, this, and this really upsets people, Friends will think, who am I better off tying my wagon to, him or her? Uh-huh. And, 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 and that's often very upsetting for people because it friends is. they've had for decades suddenly side with the other side and you never see them again. Do people who don't have a lot of money do mm. more easier than people who do? No. When you've got loads of money, it's much easier. Ah, okay. The hardest case is where there is no money. Okay. And there's not enough to meet people's needs. People will always need to be in loving relationships. You know, that, that will never, ever change. Yeah. I'm kind of worried about the disposability thing. There's now that there's no fault divorce coming in to make divorce easier. And Is there a way of s- fixing that? Of fixing what? The disposability. I mean, like, everything's disposable. I mean, can't read just, a book now. Yeah. We're just, we're, it's almost like that. Yeah. So it's a, yeah. My marriage is 30 seconds or it's 180 yeah. characters. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I acted for someone who cheated on his wife at the honeymoon. So, you know, off his head, pissed at the, at the party and then zigzags off and then has sex with someone else. So, you know, I, all of that, you know, all of that. And also people not knowing what other people are like. You Before know. they get married. Yeah. 
What would you say, last question, to your younger self, the guy who's leaving Wales? If you are creative, and if you like creative people, and if fun is the thing that drives you in life, follow the fun. Follow the fun. We normally hear follow the money. Follow the fun. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. I'm with Johnny B. Richard Collins, thanks for being a guest. My pleasure.